This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Ford? Hello, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Doing great. That's good. That's good. We finally get to meet. Yeah, it's, it's great. So um, I popped up on my schedule. And I'm like, oh, I guess I've got an interview today. So that's that's perfect. That's good. <laughs> that happens to me too. It's like, oh, well, wait a second. Something's going on. <laughs> no worries. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your organization and what you're passionate about? So are we starting the interview right now? Or are you just looking for background before you start? Or is this actually oh, starting? No, I'm, I'm, I come in hot. That's the way it works right. around here. <laughs> Well, let's let's get this done. Well, for sakes, I'm the CEO of an agency, a creative marketing agency, and a Hall of Fame keynote speaker. But my passion is really helping businesses find, attract, and keep their customers. Mm-hmm. I've had 17 different businesses, and along the way, I've spent a lot of money, made a lot of money, and made a lot of mistakes. And now we help other people get more clients and more high value, repeat sales, increase the average transaction, and just grow their business. 17 different businesses. That's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard anybody with that many. Can you give well, me a, a quick rundown on some of the ones sure. that you worked on? Sure. None of them, none of them ever went bankrupt. Um, but, you know, as an entrepreneur and an inventor, I have several patents. And so along the way, I invented products in sporting goods, childcare, and automotive. And those all led into spinoff businesses. And um, sporting goods business was one of the bigger ones where I had 120 employees. And then right. after that, People started to ask me, Chris, well, how did you invent the product? How did you take an idea from a napkin to fruition? Like, what did you do? What was it that you did? And so I started to help people with that. And then that led to speaking, training, consulting, keynote presentations, and speaking all over the globe. So, um, you know, the expertise was from helping do it in my own businesses. And then with, you know, literally thousands of other clients. What would you say was the biggest challenge that you came across? Uh, probably consistency and discipline. You know, I think that the biggest challenge for most businesses, though, is really their mindset. I think people really know what to do, but they don't know how to do it. Uh, they don't know. Well, actually, they know what to do. It's that they talk themselves out of taking the action steps that they know they need to take. Right. I mean, we all know what to do. It's, it's how well we execute. So um, I probably say that's the biggest challenge is taking action on what you already know. I mean, there's a lot of people who talk about thinking big and having great grand ideas and those that's great, but you also need to think small. You know, how do you move forward with what uh, you know you need to take on a daily act, a daily basis to move the needles? Well, what about you? So when you first started, when you very, very first started, did, like were you always driven to be an entrepreneur or did, the, did something like drive you into it? Well, you know, I got my start as an entrepreneur 
I was 15 years old. I was sitting in a jail cell, six foot by eight foot thinking, you know, maybe I haven't made the best life choices. And (laughs) while I was there, one of the guards gave me a cassette program. And for some of your younger listeners, you're going to have to Google what cassette is. Uh, But they gave me a cassette program called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And it basically was the first positive programming, positive information, personal self-help I'd ever heard. I always was told that I was going to die before I was 25. I was a kid from the projects, ninth grade education, you know, running around the streets, no parents, foster care. And, you know, I didn't really have any positive role models. So when I got this new information, I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a business, but I didn't have any experience, Chris. And the only thing I had experience about was when I used to cuss. So whenever I would say, so whenever I'd say a bad word, what they would do is they would make me paint. So I had a lot of experience painting. So my first business was a painting company. Fast forward, I made $35,000 that first year. And today's equivalents is about 250,000. So not bad for a kid from the project for the first business. Now I didn't have, I didn't have insurance. I didn't have payroll taxes. I didn't understand what a chart of accounts were. I, you know, I just ran a business and was basically cash and tried to run my business. Um, And then after that, I learned that I could get rewarded for doing positive things. And then that's where the entrepreneurial spirit came from, where I kept looking for opportunities to solve problems because I'm a firm believer, Chris, that there's no such thing as a money problem. Mm -hmm. You want to make more money, add more value. So if you're listening or watching this now and you want to make more money, stop bitching about it. Decide, whoop, forgot to hit the button. So (laughs) what I would would say is- Man, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, so so for the purposes of this this recording and replay or live, live presentation, uh, this is for educational and informational purposes only. Do not blame the host for his guest. Um, but but what I would say is there's really no such thing as a money problem. If you want to add more money, if you want to make more money, add more value. And, you know, that's really the key is I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you add more value, the money will come. So it's not about the money, you know, but it's if you really provide value like you're doing with your show, you know, you're talking about the future and how to think and you're interviewing smart people and you're sharing ideas. And really all we can hope for is to be a catalyst to make someone who's listening or watching go, you know what? I'm going to take action on that. So it's not what we know. It's I really what really makes me happy is when people take action. So I have a question for you because it sounds like you broke through like day one. Like your very first business was a success. I mean, is that is that right? Is like when did you realize to yourself? When did you look back on what you were doing? And go, wow, this is really working. Well, it, it was a success, and success is measured a lot of different ways. Um, you know, that first year in business. Um, you know, when I made $35,000, you know, in 1975, 76, you know, the problem was I spent 36,000, you know, you give a kid that doesn't have any money. And so, so yeah. How do you measure success? Ooh, do you measure it's like, by... it's like kids out of college with credit cards, right? And all right. of a sudden you're, I mean, you're flush. You're like, what am I going to do? do? Do you, do you, are you a success because you made the sale? I mean, a real success, you know, would have been to save the money and invest it wisely and save 10% and do all the things that I should have done when I was younger and didn't do. Uh, so, you know, yes, it was a success from the standpoint of solving problems. I mean, I'm a firm believer. If you can get one person to buy something, then you can get a thousand, you know I mean? It's just, it's coming up with that concept and it's the right combination of the message to the right market using the right method. And that's something I talk about in my keynotes. You know, it's, if you're in a bit, if you're in business, if you don't have the customers you want, if you don't have the subscribers you want, if you don't have the followers on social media that you want, you're not sending the right message to the right market. 
you know, you can have the best message in the world, but you send it to the wrong people. You know, if it, you know, as, as, as a, as a male, if they send me something about pregnancy and, you know, I'm not worried about it, like for a wife or spouse, well, then it doesn't, it's the wrong message, right? It, it's not relevant, relevant. So you want to make sure that the message is on target. And, you know, that's obviously something that we help with as our agency, but, you know, that's really where the success came from. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because, I mean, there's some people, it's kind of like there's two schools of thought when it comes to being an entrepreneur. On the one hand, it's like like the Mike Rowe school, which is, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, even if it's a crappy job, do it because it's somebody, somebody will pay you for it. And then the other side is, oh, follow your passion, follow your passion. It's like, like which one of those works or is it a blend? I'd say it's kind of a blend, but I really think it comes down to what problems do you solve that other people will pay to make go away? So right. if you're an entrepreneur, you have to ask that question. If you work for a company, you have to ask that question. If you want to raise, you have to ask that question. You know, there's no such thing as job security. It's skills security, right? So if you if you want a better job, then you have to provide more value. I mean, this last year has been very disruptive. As you know, a lot of businesses flourished. And a lot of them went out of business. And it was a real test. And I don't think that what happened with the pandemic um, – changed anything other than what would have happened within five years anyway. I mean, the, the virtual meetings and not being able to sell face-to-face and some of the things, yeah. it would have happened anyway. It's yeah. just COVID just made it happen faster. It just accelerated yeah. things. Sorry. So I can continue. I just want to give the host an opportunity to speak. No, 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 I, just, just, I just say it just accelerated things. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like we've been, we've been able to telecommute since 1982. But no right. one's like very few people telecommute. Very few companies have a real telecommute policy. They want, they still want, you know, uh, butts and seats in their office, even though that people have gone through like two hour commutes, one and a half hour commutes, you know, terrible, you know, terrible things physically and mentally. But, you know, they still want, in a, if we didn't have this crisis, we, you know, we might be in a worse spot. Well, I think that technology caught up and now culture is having to change. You know, for me as a business owner, you know, I prefer in-house people. I have I have people sitting outside this door right here. And, you know, when they're in my office and, and w- what I want them to do is I want them to be in the office because maybe it's old school and I want accountability and I want to make sure they're doing it. But I do have remote workers too. I've got people who work in different states and contractors and outsourcers that I work with. But it really is about setting a conditions of satisfaction. What does success look like? Having effective meetings, holding people accountable, having them use active language like, oh, it's not, I'm going to be on a podcast later. It's I'm going to be on a podcast at this time from this time. And this is what I hope to add value. So it's, it's, it's not just the technology and it's not just remote workers. It's a combination of, you know, the right, the right systems, the right people, and then, you know, actually executing to make sure that you're applying the leadership skills to make sure it's successful because there's a lot of people who will say, oh, remote, remote workers don't work. Well, it's no different than as an agency, someone says to me, LinkedIn doesn't work or podcasting doesn't work or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or TikTok, Instagram, or, you know, yeah, it all works. It's just, is it the right method for what you're trying to do to reach your particular market? But going back to the virtual, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we, I probably am on, I don't know, 30, 40 Zoom calls a week. I mean, if I had to guess, uh, eight a day, eight times five is 40. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe 25. 
Zoom calls a week. And some of those are presentations where there might be a thousand or more people. And if it's being streamed live on YouTube or LinkedIn, then it could be hundreds of thousands of people. Sometimes it's eight, sometimes it's two, you know? So, but, you know, I think that no matter who you are, you have to be skilled at the, at the new technologies and, you know, how to do virtual meetings, how to sell when you can't meet face-to-face, how to have proper audio and lighting and, and effects so that you can actually, you know, deliver a real value. Well, did you ever have a, like a, like I think it was mentioned earlier, did you ever have a moment where you finally realized I've broken through, like I, I can consider myself a success? Like where did that no, happen? I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've been asked that question in other, you know, other interviews and TV interviews in the past. And, you know, I think that the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. You know, I, I think there was a time in my 20s and 30s where I thought I kind of knew what I was doing and knew everything. And but the more you learn, and I think this is for, you know, the more the why, more wisdom you acquire, the more you realize that you can never know enough. And for me, it's not about knowing it all. It's about knowing where to get the answer. You know, can I leverage my resources? Where do I go? I mean, I have a, a, stat, a policy in my company that, you know, don't come in here and ask me a question if you haven't tried to solve it first. Did you go to YouTube? Did you Google it? Did you, you know, did you do anything to try to be a critical thinker and solve your problems? Because that's what I'm looking for. You know, I want to hire for talent and train for skills. You know, I want someone who is a critical thinker but also a process person. And that's hard, you know, because keep people come into a job and they, you know, they sure they'd like to have a, a, a guidebook and training and be trained to standard and have all these things, but life is messy. It's not always like that. And sometimes, you know, not sometimes, but many times you need your staff or you yourself to be able to be a critical thinker. And I think it, it really starts with mindset. So I don't think I've really just broken through it and consider myself a success because every day, there's always some better. So I was, I was listening, I was on Clubhouse this morning and uh, there's someone who's very famous in, in the car world, you know, Grant Cardone, you know, he's, he's done events where there's 50,000 people and, you know, and I know him and everything. And, you know, he was talking about his success. He did a, he did an event and made 9 million in the weekend. And, you know, but then he said he was trying to work on a new idea and he was trying to get into a new sphere of influence and they didn't even know who he was. And, and, you know, they were at a whole nother echelon, you know, and so it, it just goes to show you that no matter who you are, whether you're Tony Robbins or, you know, whatever, Oprah, you know, there's always another level. And I think that's very humbling. So even though, yes, I've reached a level of success and I've done some things and I've written books and I speak around the world and I'm in the Hall of Fame of keynote speaking, doesn't really mean, you know, it, it doesn't really mean anything because there's always more. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you watch Modern Family, but there was that episode where Jay was always trying to get into the next level up. He was like in the gold level, and then he found out there was a platinum level, and then he tried right. really hard to get to platinum, and then he realized there was like an, an uber platinum or a titanium level above that. So there's always one level above. So it's kind of like a, a, a you've got to take your ambitions and match them to where you are to feel that you're successful. But some people are like, there is no, there's no limit. Why not keep going? I mean, is there anything to stop you? Well, and I think that's important. I think you need to celebrate the successes that you have, but I also think you need to be driven to improve. You know, I'm not, I'm never satisfied. Now, am I perfect? No, I'm so far, I make mistakes. I, I say the wrong thing. I tend to cuss too much, you know. I don't do it from a stage. So if you're a meeting planner listening to me right now, no, I will not cuss if I'm in front of your audience. You know, but it's real. I mean, you asked me to do an interview, you're getting me. 
You know, this isn't some canned thing. You and I just met. We didn't, you know, we knew of each other, but this was our first time to really have an, a, a meeting. And so my main concern is I want to be a great ho- a guest to get, deliver value to your listeners, viewers, and, and your replays as much as, you know, being here to learn from you. So it's a, it's yeah. a dialogue and it's, it's, I think it's being humble. The, the thing I would say, the warning is be careful of those people who think they know everything, but they don't know what they don't know. And they don't even know they don't know it, but they act like they know everything. Those are the people that I just want to run from. Those are the people that you want to take a bath after you're running for 10 minutes because they're just sleazy. And they're just, they're so insecure about their own knowledge that they're trying to one up everybody and tell everybody else how great they are. And, you know, and I've had clients like that. I've had, I've had clients that have called me that said, one guy called me, I won't use his name because he's famous. And he said, you know, I, I made a billion dollars last year. And, you know, I'm looking for a coach and, you know, you came highly regarded for what I'm looking for. And I gave him my fee and, you know, the fee was not obviously an issue because it was, you know, like lunch money for him, um, you know, and that even at five figures, by the way. And so I started talking to him, but he didn't know what I knew about what I was trying to say. But because he'd made money, he thought that he knew everything. And so he kept arguing with you know every idea. Oh, that won't work. And I said to him, I said, look, you know, you were successful in this other industry, but you don't know about this industry. And, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's your ego getting in the way, but I don't think I can work with you. And he was extremely offended. He's like, you know how much money I've made? I said, look, you've made more than I'll ever make in my life, but you know, you're an asshole and I don't really want to work with you. And, you know, and I'm sorry, but that was really what it came down to. Now I could have taken his money and I could have bit my tongue and listened to him pontificate about how great he was, but life's too short to spend time with people you don't want to be around. Yeah. Well, it works both ways. I mean, everybody, everybody thinks, oh, you got to take every customer that comes along, but that's not necessarily so, right? I mean, it's got to work both ways. You've got to have, you got to have, you know, positive on both sides. Otherwise, I think that that every company should fire 20% of their customers every year or a percentage of them. Um, You know, we just recently let go of a customer. I call it freeing them up for new opportunities to go work somewhere else. (laughs) Um, but that, that client was a $20,000 a month retainer client, you know, which is not small change. I mean, it's, you know, it's good money, but yeah. the amount of hours and the frustration and the stress on the team, and it caused turnover in my organization because people were burned out. And I'm like, you know what, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's $240,000 a year, quarter million dollars, whatever. It's not worth it, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, I passed it up. And then I, I told my team and you can't sit on the whiteboard behind me. And if you're listening to the podcast, there's a whiteboard with a bunch of grayed out words on the behind me. But I just made a list of new action items of how we're going to generate more revenue. So, mm-hmm. you know, ask better questions. Don't be a victim. You know, don't blame, whine and complain. Now, do I do that sometimes? Yes, I'm human. <laughs> um, but but I always come back to that mindset. You know, it's it's really about your, your perspective and do you believe in yourself and are you surrounded by people who will believe in you? Not just blow smoke up your butt, but, you know, tell you when you're off track, we'll call you on your crap that, you know, hopefully you're in a mastermind or something. And again, we can go any direction you want to go with the conversation, but you know, if you ask me, okay, Ford, the building's on fire, give me one tip. I would say work on your growth mindset. Really. I think that's the biggest factor for entrepreneurial success to break through from an employee to an entrepreneur it's really the mindset. Right, right. So let's go back to a little bit to what I was saying earlier about sort of like going after what pe- people are looking for and your c- particular concept. So some startup founders, they, they have an idea. They figure this thing's going to be huge, right? 
but they don't really take into account, they, they do the Steve Jobs thing. Oh, I'm inventing the iPhone. This is amazingly huge. People are going to love it, but they don't listen to what people want. I mean, should we be coming at it from the, what, like what people want side of things or merging our piece or, you know, which way yeah. I build Good my question. business? Just say. So, so the answer to that question is people do what they want. They don't do what they need. Right. Okay. Today I ordered a salad. It came with soup. The salad was kind of mushy. I threw it away. I walked by our snack bar and I grabbed two packages of M&Ms. Now I didn't need the freaking M&Ms. Okay. I wanted the M&Ms. I didn't need them. I want them. Now that's a very small thing, but if you apply it to a bigger scale, you want to, you want to create solutions that people want. And, and, and what I would say to help you even narrow it down, because you might say, really, I'm listening to that. This seems kind of basic. Yeah. People want four things. They want to know what's wrong with me. Can you fix it? How much does it cost? And how long does it take? So as a business, I mean, that's a little oversimplified, but as a business, you really need to start that high level. Like what mm-hmm. problems do you solve that people are going to pay to make go away? The bigger the yeah. problem, the more they'll pay. End of story. Yeah. As a keynote speaker, yeah. you know, you know, my fees are 25 grand an hour. That sounds really impressive for, for me to say now. But I've got clients that are $50,000, $100,000 an hour. So to me, I'm at minimum wage, right? Yeah. Someone else would look at it and go, well, that's content. more than I make in a year. You know, you can make two hours and make what I make in a year. So again, they're not paying me for my time. They're paying me for my insights because I've elevated myself to the fact that I can look at a business, look at an idea, and I can bridge the gap and I can see the, pl- the holes. The biggest mistake, back to your question, a lot of businesses make is they play the numbers game. Well, you know, there's, I'm going to sell to account. I'm going to sell to community banks and there's 4,000 community banks in the country. And if each one, if I get 10% of them and they, you know, I'm not going to try to do the math live here, right. You know, I have to use another assistant. I don't want to say a name because everybody's virtual assistant will go off, um, which I've done in keynotes, which is really kind of funny, but you know, they start playing the numbers game and that's not the only variable. Yeah, you want to know how many how many people in the pool and what's the likelihood of you converting and all that. And you want to run your data-driven numbers, but you also have to understand that that you know people while they want to know what's wrong with me, can you fix it? What's it cost and how long does it take? They also want to know, do I believe in you? Like, is there any credibility? Is there social proof? Is there a website or digital proof? Like for me, you guys can Google my name, Ford Sakes, F-O-R-D. S-A-E-K-S. You'll see I have over 105 star reviews. I'm all over the internet. You know, it's easy to vet me, right? So, okay, checkbox. They believe in me. The next question they want to ask is, do they believe in my offer? Well, if I go into a brand and I help them increase their sales and they've got 800 franchises and I help them move the needles and they make a couple million dollars, why shouldn't they pay me 25 grand? I mean, really, in, in, in relationship, it's it's almost nothing compared to what they're going to spend if they have a franchisee that quits and I save the franchisee from quitting their business because they're an entrepreneur and they were they didn't understand and now I help them grow. That's worth 25 grand. So it's value for value, right? So they want to know what's, do they believe in you? The second question is, do they believe in your offer? Whatever your offer is, service, product, whatever. And the third thing, and this is where a lot of people get it wrong, is will they do the work? You know, mm-hmm. will they actually, you know, if, if I said, if you said to me, well, Ford, I can help you lose weight. You need to um, eat paleo, go to CrossFit, be, do high intensity interval training. You need to do yoga. You need to do mindful meditation. You need like, 
I mean, like, yeah, I want to lose weight, but you know what? The M&Ms look pretty good right now because even though I, you know, even though I want the result, if you make the work too hard and you don't give people wins to be get, build momentum, then they won't ever do it. And I know there's a lot of people listening that have had ideas. I know you, I don't even have to see you or watch you or listen to you. I know that there's a lot of people listening that have ideas. They've wanted to invent something. They've wanted to start a business. They've wanted to, but for whatever reason, they've talked themselves out of it because it seems too big. And what I would say is get back to your mindset and baby steps, test it on a small way. And again, like I said, if you can get one person to, to bite and to say, yeah, I would pay for that, then you've got a business model you can take forward. Yeah. Fantastic. So let's start at the very beginning here. So one of the things that's interesting about what you said earlier about your your background is that it's almost like your uh, your background sort of drove you into doing something successful. So sometimes you, you see that with a lot of people who have like really horrible beginnings and they can really turn themselves into successes. But people who are like in the middle, who don't have horrible beginnings, they don't really have a terrible life. It's an okay life, but it's not like out of the ordinary. How, how can these people sort of push themselves to be, to, to get up there? Cause they don't, ha- they might not have the same level of motivation, somebody that like you might have. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we can term that hungry, right? Chris, okay. you know, maybe, maybe they're not hungry. You know, mm-hmm. I was hungry. I, I was living the project. I was carrying a nine millimeter. I didn't exactly, wasn't exactly a business owner. I was doing bad things. I, you know, I didn't understand. I, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know it. And, and yeah. so when I finally realized, oh, I need to change it, it gave me motivation. Now let's say you take someone who, you know, grew up with great parents and they lived with a silver spoon, whether, or whether they were, you know, middle income or low income, but maybe they just aren't driven. It doesn't mean that everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, everybody. If you're listening, it doesn't mean that, oh, I think everybody should be, you know, like me, but you should be driven to add value. So, so if you, if you are just telling yourself that, you know, there's so many victims right now, and I'm not going to get into the political issues and the things that are going on in the media. No, I, don't, I don't really care about that. Apolitical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not going to get into any of anything like that, and nor would I in any conversation. But there are a lot of people who are are entitled or, or victims. And again, put whatever label on it you want, everybody. But but my point is, if you're waiting for someone else to take care of you, or you're waiting for someone else to come rescue you, to me, you're being a victim. To yeah. me, and that doesn't mean you have to make money. I don't care. You can get you can you can you can work in a homeless shelter. You can be a philanthropist. You can be spiritual. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is, but do yeah. it with some passion because. You know, life's short. We get one try around this, unless you believe in reincarnation. Who knows how many other tries you get? But, you know, we, we know that, that life is short, regardless of how long you want to live. And you need to really celebrate your life. And, and you know, I think that the biggest eye-opener for me came when, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60 years old now. And my son uh, graduated high school in 2010 and in 2017, he passed away of cancer after 18 months of fighting cancer. Now, I'm not looking for therapy. I don't need anybody to feel sorry for me. I celebrated his life. We, we had a, he had a great life. He, he, you know, certainly I wouldn't want him to pass. Don't get me wrong. But I want to tell you something that happened. We were such good friends and, and he, had, he played hockey and he always had all his hockey buddies around him when he was getting ready to pass. And he went through this for 18 months. So for 18 months, you know, we, we, he, he just knew it was, he was dying and we joked about it and he'd wake up, Hey, let's go to Sizzler. Like, you know, right. it was just, it was, if you had to go, it was the best way to go with family members and friends, giving him love. But the last day he was passing, Chris, I was holding his hand and he started to gurgle and I'm thinking, Holy crap, you know, he's dying. Like, like 
he's dying right now. And it kind of just hit me all at once. I started to cry. I turned away. I didn't want him to see me cry. I turned back. I wiped the tears out of my eye. And I said, it's okay, Logan, I'm here. And he took a gurgle and a breath. And he took another deep breath. And on his third breath, Chris, he goes, you cry, baby. And of course, everybody started laughing. I mean, here he is dying of cancer, but he's joking. Now, the lesson here is it's perspective. You know, he grew up around, you know, he didn't have it rough. He, you know, going back to your story, I mean, I provided for him. I spoiled him rotten, but I gave him work ethic. I made him work for things. He never had to fight for a meal, you know, but I gave him work ethic. And I always told him that he's responsible for everything in his life, every decision, and he could do whatever he wanted. And at a very young age, I told him, you can do whatever you want. You can be bad. You can be good. You can, you don't have to pay your tax. But I said, but there's a consequence. I said, so I gave him freedom of choice, but I also taught him consequence. And because of that, when he got cancer, you know, he basically had a good attitude about it. He tried to beat it, but when he, he didn't ever give up, he never was a victim. He tr- struggled to the very end, but he would never complained about it the, through the chemo, through the surgery, through the stem cell, all the crap. I would have just jumped out a window, like, give me a pill. I'm done day one. Like I wouldn't have had near the stain power, but the lesson here, the takeaway for everybody is this. We don't know how much time we have left. So if you're trying to become an entrepreneur or get a better job or get, if you're in a bad relationship, get out of it. Now don't blame Chris. If you go home and tell, Hey, I was on a podcast. They said I should get divorced. Well, maybe you should, you know, only quality people. If you're around people, if you're around people that are dragging you down, like, so, so I'm unabashed when it comes to that. I just really believe, you know, yeah, I, I whine and complain about things. I'm human, but at the end of the day, I'm grateful every day above ground is a good day. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your show. I'm grateful to be able to meet new friends and do, add value because then as long as I've, as long as I've added some value, then I can say it's a good day. You know, do things go wrong? Does my car break down or, you know, do, do I have things that, you know, I had an employee embezzle for me last year, you know, do, do things happen? Yeah. But you know, you still have to work on your mindset and take action. So yeah, I know it's a long answer. This is what you call taking 10 minutes to cook two minute rice. Um, so, so sorry about the long answer, but um, I believe that even if, even if you're, even if you're not super hungry, then you need to find your passion, find out what motivates you do a dream board, try new things, experiment, get out of your comfort zone because otherwise you're going to wake up 10 years from now and you're going to wonder, God, what happened? You know, I know I did. I don't know about you, Chris, but I went, I went from my thirties to my sixties in like a blink, like, 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 you know, there's an old saying, someone said, you know, about age, it would be, you know, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were for me? I'm in 25. My wife says I'm a, I'm a 12 years old. I'm an adult man child. Like, you know, she she wants me to grow up, but, but really I don't feel 60 Yeah. until I look in the mirror. Right. But I don't feel that 60. You know, but but my point is there are a lot of people who are 20 that act like they're 80, and there are a lot of people that are 80 that are still living life and learning new things. So it's really yeah. gosh, you know, I know it's a recurring theme here, uh, but it really comes down to mindset. Well, I think I think a lot of people don't realize how much power and control they have over their own lives. They, they look at themselves and they go, you know, this is me, this is what I am, and this is what I will always be. And, it, and a lot of times people spend a lot of time just, just trying to continually reinforce themselves the way they are. 
and not realize that there's so much ability for them to change because they can. They go like, I, I, I was reading something the other day where people were complaining about, oh, I can't find a job in my city or I can't do this or I can't do that. And it's like, well, well, go move or do this, do that. It's like you have full control over your life if you just had the drive to make those kind of changes. And, you know, nothing's really stopping you. You can make these changes. Of course, it's, there's going to be lots of upheaval around you. But as long as you're okay to deal with that, then you can make almost any change that you want to. Yeah, I think people get complacent. You know, they, they get comfortable and complacent. And the, the devil they know is, I don't know what the saying is, like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't or whatever. So they get, they get complacent. And that's where victimhood, blaming and complaining come in, where they, they, they get entitled to just blame or they get conditioned to not take action. And it is hard for those of you listening that you feel stuck do one thing today, pick one thing, read something new, drive a different way to home, you know, creativity. And this is interesting because I've invented a lot of products and, and, you know, people always say, well, where did you get the inspiration? Like, how did you come up with the idea? Creativity is really the more you, the more experiences you have, the more creative you are, the mm -hmm. different things you do. So for example, what could you do to be more creative? Well, if you have a watch, put it on the other arm tonight, when you go home, eat with a non-dominant hand. And here's yeah. a big one for you. Take the toilet paper roll and flip it over, right? You know, so if it's used to just watch how it pisses everybody else in your house off. Just so many take, how small changes cause all oh, sorts of ruckus. Oh, but I'm on. telling you, you, you do that. It's going to be a dinner. It's going to be a, it's going to be Armageddon, right? You, you know, but, but if you aren't willing to do something a little bit different, you're not going to get anything different. And I think that when you learn it, like I've learned that if I want something different, I have to think big, but I have to think small and, and I have to take action. So, so actually you won't, you won't be able to see it on my phone um, for those of you watching at home, but I'm going to show uh, for the camera. This is actually what's on my phone. Think nice. big, think small, take action because I, I want to remember when I turn my phone on, because how often do we look at our phones, right? We look at our phones yep. all the yep. time. And so I'm thousands always thinking of think times big, a day, big. apparently thousands of times a day. Yeah. So I want to remember Look, if, if you know, I, I know that you know people say, "Oh, well, you know, he's used a lot of motivational quotes and things." Look, this is my DNA. This is really what I think. Like, this isn't a book report. These are the things that have taken a kid from the projects to run a seven-figure business more than once, to speak at colleges, universities, and brands around the world. And you know, for me, if my teachers were alive right now. I mean, I was kicked out of so many schools and classes. And so I was so disruptive because I wanted attention. Like I didn't understand it at the time. You know, it right. wasn't that I was stupid. I was just looking for attention. So I was just doing stupid shit to, to get attention. I didn't know any better. And when I finally realized that you can get attention by doing good things, well, then I really leaned into it. And I've read a lot of books. Some are good. Some are good. I take a lot of ideas, but what I would say is be a critical thinker. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Chris's word for it. Take our ideas, try them on like a new piece of clothes, see if it fits, but don't tell us what, I, and don't tell me for sure that it won't work unless you've tried it. Because, you know, the biggest thing, the problem is right now is there's so many 24 year old life coaches. I mean, I mean, my God, you can't, you can't swing right. a dead cat. Sorry, I said dead cats for any, don't, don't write in hate mail. Don't put anything in the comments. I love animals, but, but you can't <laughs> swing a dead cat. Like she's got like a, you know, a million followers and she's like 24. And it's like, yeah, if I was good looking, I might have a million followers. Oh. too. Yeah. I mean, it's always funny when you, and you have to kind of wonder, you know, I I've seen a lot of that and there's a lot of them out there and you know, 
some of their content isn't bad. A lot of it's regurgitating and they, you know, but, but you know, there has to be a certain level of wisdom. Now that doesn't mean there's not some brilliant 24 year old people. Like this is not an age thing for those of you out there. It's not a gender. It's not an age. It's not a race. It's nothing. But what I'm getting at is there are way more younger life coaches that really haven't achieved anything. It's kind of like, I was, I was, um, list, uh, I had a client call me and cause I work with a lot of speakers, authors, and trainers. And this client said, well, I want to be a motivational speaker. And I said, what do you want to speak, speak about? And they said, well, I really want to be a life coach te- teaching other people how to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, okay. Um, how much money have you ever made? Like, what did, did you, did you invent something? Are you a child prodigy or what? Yeah. And she said, no, I just really want to do that. And I said, well, what's the most money you've ever made in a year? Like, just, can you give me an idea? And she said, $48,000. Wow. And they, okay, that's not bad. But I said, I said, so, so have you invested that? No. Have you had, do you have property? No. Have you started a business? No. Do you have residual income? No. I said, so what are you going to teach? Well, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I really think that I could, you know, and I'm like, look, you can't polish a turd and you can't drink from an empty well. Like you, you have to have some substance to be able to do it. That's why you and I could jump on this call today and we can have a conversation for an hour or whatever, how long we're going. And I can deliver value because I've got a deep well of knowledge that I can take it whatever direction you want it to go. Yeah. Now there are a lot of people who can't do that, but then you shouldn't be a life coach. Like I'm not saying, you know, if you're going to be a life coach, have some life. They may have, they may have a specialized bit of knowledge that they can impart, right? Like if it's a really, really narrow field and they've done something really, really well, they can they can impart that specialized knowledge. But outside of that, I mean, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like these people who, they don't have the experience, they don't really have the knowledge, they don't have the skill, but they're still saying, oh, I'm going to portray myself as this and I will, I will do that. I mean, some people have made a lot of money doing that. They've taken these old concepts and just reworked oh, yeah. them for their generation, right? Well, they have, and 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 I, I won't name any books because there's a, several of them that are very similar to what you just said, and some right. of them are friends, and some of them I know. But but we've all seen it, and and then you then you have the whole group of people who rent the beach house and they rent the Ferrari and they go out with their yeah, yeah, with their yeah. with their with their yeah. selfie stick, and here I am on the beach in Malibu, and I'm going to teach you how to be successful. Yeah, this is my house. And, this is my car. If you, just, if you just read one book a day, you'll do the same thing. Yeah, and you know. It's interesting, but they there's a lot of them who really believe that. And there's some that done it, but there's more not. So the real lesson here, everybody, is this. Just be careful who you listen to and who you take the advice from. That's all. Just be a critical. A critical thinker to me yep. means you're going to listen to the idea. You're going to vet it. You're not going to be negative or positive. You're just going to be critical. So, yep. you know, I can watch things that I know have negative programming but if I'm a critical thinker, I can still watch a show that a lot of people would be programmed negatively, you know, but I can still watch it. Like if you look at, for example, most, most successful movies, the villain is always the rich person, right? I don't care. And if you look at hero stories, the hero is always an orphan. I mean, right. I mean, Batman, you know, Spider-Man, you know, pick it out. It's, it's, it's a common theme and it's because it's a proven theme. It appeals to the masses and, and, you know, someone who makes money, it's like I was watching, oh, what was it? It was about the um, the college scandal. Now, again, guys, this is, we're not being political here. We're looking at this from a critical thing. I was just watching the Netflix special on the college scandal where like Lindsay Lohan, or what, I don't remember the name, but yeah. whoever was the actress who paid $500,000 to get her kid into college, right? Yeah. And I was listening to the commentary 
And one of the interviews, the person actually said, well, it's finally time that rich people get punished the way they deserve to be punished. And I thought to myself, interesting perspective (laughs) that that person's belief system was all rich people cheat. You know, like, like you didn't make money unless you cheated. Like, like if you somehow earned, if you somehow added enough value that you somehow aren't entitled to it. And so to me, and again, this is not political, everybody. Maybe maybe in the middle ages, but now rich people usually create something that people want to buy. Right. Right. And if you, if you invent something and you create something that everybody wants to buy, you deserve to be like, you know, but, but you, and I won't want to go on this tangent too long. We'll make this short. The purpose is be a critical thinker. And if, you know, there's a lot of programming that conditions people to believe that rich people are bad because of the way society portrays most rich people. And there are plenty of rich people that are bad, but there are also plenty of poor people that are bad too. So again, it's the media, it's the political system, it's social media. And there's never been a time in history where all of us are influencers. You and I, you know, we can jump on a platform. We can go live on a platform. We can share our opinions. I'm sharing my opinions. I'm saying this is the way I think. And, you know, some people will be like, yeah, this is, this is, this is perfect. I'm going to believe this. And some people are like, no, this is the wrong answer. You know, so it just depends on um, your perspective. <laughs> so tell me about, so you've had 17 businesses. I'm assuming yeah. one or two of them may have failed. Tell me about your biggest failure. Oh man. Um, I got so many, um, so many <laughs> ideas here. So, so I invented a sporting goods system that would go from floor to ceiling to store bicycles. It was a pole that went between the, it's sandwiched between the floor and the ceiling to store bicycles. Well, that sounds like a great idea. I can't imagine. Well, it was. And when I invented it in 87, people told me it would never sell. They said, why would someone pay $200 for an oak rack or $99 for aluminum when they could pay 99 cents? So the, the, the typical logic was nobody will pay for it because it's so expensive. And I thought to myself, people buy diamonds, they buy fast cars, they buy Cadillacs. At the time, it was a Cadillac. Now I'd say it's Tesla. It's all about showing the value. I mean, people buy right. people buy anything expensive. As as and so, so I built the company up to $50 million in gross sales. And, you know, that to me was a lot of money. Um, and, and it was very successful. Well, then I invented a product that was a stroller, a jogging stroller, bicycle trailer combination. So you've seen them in the marketplaces. They're... There, you put your kids in them, you pull them behind your bike, or, and I created the the first combination unit that did both. So it was a stroller that you could take the front wheel off. It became a trailer. I designed it. I had the patent on it. I I took it to market, and and I spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars developing it. The first year I went to a trade show, I sold ninety thousand dollars in three days. So I'm like, okay, we're on a good start. Nice. I've I've got something going. The next year I went to the trade show, I sold another $100,000. So I was up to like 190,000, but I still, I'm still in the hole, right? I do the math. I spent 250. And uh, the next year at the trade show, nine companies copied me. I mean, like knocked me off like nine. I'm at the trade show. The first year I was the, the idea of the year. And I was on all the covers of the magazines and I was interviewed and, and I was selling a sharper image and William Sonoma, I was selling all these places and catalogs. The next year, nine companies did it. And one of the companies was Huffy Bicycles. Now, I don't know if those people listening know who Huffy is, but Huffy's like the 600-pound gorilla in the marketplace for cheap 
things in Taiwan that they can make. Well, I was manufacturing in the United States. Huffy retailed their product for $99. My wholesale price was 125 and it was supposed to sell for 350. So even though I had a superior product and even though I had a better product and it was it was Huffy went, had the distribution and the market. And when I went to their booth, I said, look, you copied me. They said, yeah, we know. We bought your product. We took it, reverse engineered it. And I said, but I got this patent. I said, we know. We know. But, you know, do you want to fight us? We're Huffy. And I'm like, no. And they said, well, you know, here's $100,000. Do you want to go away peacefully? Or do you want to sue us? And then we'll make you go bankrupt. I took the money. And every time I walk through a freaking Sam's or Costco or look on the internet, I mean, all I want to do, I just, I'm, I'm just so pissed off. Because I'm the one that came up with the idea because yeah. I took, I, because my son was small and I wanted to buy both products, but I didn't want to spend 300 bucks on a trailer and three, because those products existed before me. I didn't invent the stroll, the trailer, and I didn't invent the stroller or the trailer. I just put them together and saw a need because I was a parent and I, I wanted to find something that worked. So that was a, that was a miss. Um, <laughs> you know, I just moved on and, but the, you know, I think the biggest thing is you can fail with a product, you can fail with marketing, or you can fail with you know management. Because in business, you're good at one of those three things. You're either delivering the product or service, or you're a practitioner. Number two, you're really good at managing people and you understand leadership and communication and team building. And you can see my snarky conversation here. Or, or you're good at marketing and sales, which means you know how to communicate the value. Now, I've always been really pretty skilled at marketing and sales. And I've always been skilled at delivering whatever the product or service is. But when it came to leadership, I was like, I don't need that crap. You know, I'm hiring them. I'm paying them. Get them to do the work. But after you start having a lot of turnover, which is expensive, I started thinking to myself, Chris, who is always at the scene of the crime? It's mm -hmm. me. What's the one common denominator? The faces change, but the, the problems were the same. And finally, I had an expert say, Ford, you know, you don't need team building. You need leadership skills. You need leadership training. Now, this was, this was you know, 30 years, 20 years ago. And, and I said, I don't believe that. And, and I, I, you got time for two minutes of a story real quick? Go for it. So he says to me, he said, Ford, I can, I can solve your problem in 10 minutes. I said, okay, tell, solve my problem. He said, did you ever teach your son how to ride a bicycle? And I said, well, yeah, of course. He said, what did you do? He said, did you put a helmet on him? Did you hold the back of the bike? Did you coach him? Did you, did you let him kind of fall? Did you pick him up? I said, yeah. He said, so, so you coached him on how to ride a bike. I said, yeah. He said, he said, you know what you do to your employees? He said, you hire them, you pay them well. He said, but then you take them to a really big hill and you blindfold them and you put them on the bicycle and then you kick the back of the bicycle. And as the bicycle goes tumbling down the hill, you run alongside bitching at them that they're doing it wrong. And when they get to the bottom, you slap them for doing it wrong. He said, you don't have a culture. You don't have communication. You don't have leadership. You don't have nurturing. You're not creating onboarding. And it was all these things that as an entrepreneur, I didn't even think I needed. I'm like, Hey, I hired him to, I hired, I hired someone to do my lawn and clean my pool and clean my house. Like I just thought I could hire someone and they could just do the work. So, so that's one of the mistakes I made, which was hire your weakness know what you're not good at. You want to strengthen your weaknesses, but don't live there. So yeah. yes, yeah. have I improved my leadership skills over the years? Absolutely, because I don't like the turnover. Am I perfect now? Uh, I still have my days, but yeah. you know, I do at least know when it happens that it's me. 
Awesome. So, you know what I like? You, you went, you seem to be like the two description or the three businesses that you've talked about so far. Really interesting. How, where do you get your inspiration from? How did you, how did you decide to go into those? Well, I'll give you two. I'll give you, I'll give you the answer. And this is going to be a long road to a tiny house. So I'm going okay. to give you the, the main way. So I invented the bike racks that to go from floor to ceiling, then it became a whole line of sporting goods products. And then I owned a boat and my son, Logan at the time, the one I told you about passed, um, he was five years old and we were on the boat and my wife was petrified that he was going to drown. And so I was at a boat show and I saw this swimsuit called floating swimwear. It was a swimsuit with lacra and it had flotation sewn into it. And I'm like, you know what? It's a superhero costume. This was back in 89, probably. And there wasn't any that, that that market was not in the market. I took that company in global, but, but the idea was I saw the suit and I'm like, you know what? This will really sell. My son will be happy. He can't take it off. The zipper's in the back. He can be around water and I don't have to worry. So I understood the value proposition. And I went up to the guy and I handed him my business card and I was in jeans and a t-shirt. And he, and I said, Hey buddy, I can really help you sell. Cause I already had a multi-million dollar company with distribution and all different channels of distribution. I was, I would, you know, I knew exactly how to sell it and who to sell it to. I already had the contacts at mass merchants and everything. And he said, kid, if I had a nickel for everybody who told me I was going to make money with this idea. Well, fast forward, he ends up calling me a, a little bit later and I ended up taking his business from a garage operation that sold about $15,000 a year to $10 million in sales in three years. Nice. So I, I, I saw a need. Well, fast forward. Um, I was uh, dating a nurse. This is before I got married. I got to do the, do the math here on the, on the, on the, on the, just a different idea guys. Um, uh -huh. So I was dating this nurse and it was in the, in the late eighties and it was about um, you remember in, when people were scared about blood and bloodborne pathogens and if they opened up. So she was so petrified as a nurse that when she opened up the blood vial that she was going to get AIDS. And so I created a safety shield that would um, that that they could use in labs and and labs. So I had medical safety shields um, that for bloodborne pathogens. I had the sporting goods. I had floating swimwear. I created an automotive product. So I've always found a need and a want. I've always looked at the want first. Like I said, people do what they want, not what they need. And then I was able to create value. Well, fast forward, I figured out that people will pay more for information than they will anything. So mm -hmm. yes, I still have some products that that I sell. But again, how can they afford to pay me like 25 grand for a keynote or $75,000 for consulting or whatever it is? Well, it's because people will pay more for information. And now more than ever in this information overloaded world we have with Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, Snapchat, Tik, whatever you want to call it, whatever one hasn't even been. Now we've got Clubhouse and all the <laughs> other ones that are, you know, social. Every week it's and another one. And Twitter has a new one. There's, I mean, there's so many inboxes, right. That are supposed to quote, help us. And yeah. so people will pay more for information, but they don't want information. So if you think about it and you're taking notes at home, there's data, there's information, there's knowledge, and then there's wisdom. So if you think about them like steps on a stairway data, nobody cares about data. There's da We're in a data information overload, right? Oh yeah. Well, then there's information. Well, information is data that's sorted out. Well, that's helpful, but that still doesn't, I mean, there's too much information. Well, now there's knowledge. Well, that's what your show is. Your show is that the knowledge, you're sharing knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is where you're cutting through the crap. You're talking to smart people. You're giving ideas that your audience members can take away. So they're not just listening passively. They can go, you know what? 
that's a good idea. I'm going to take action on that. And that's where the wisdom comes from. And so I, along my entrepreneurial journey, I realized that. And so now that's why I have a creative agency. We still do done for you services, but that's why I'm on a lot of podcasts and interviews and I write books and I'm on TV and radio because I found that people will pay for that information because they don't have time to spend. I mean, you can either learn by other people's experience or your own. And yeah. I got news for you. It's going to cost you a lot more to learn from your own experience than other people's experience. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So it's time to think like a futurist. Where will things be in 2031, 10 years from now? Go. I think that that buying behaviors are going to change. I think you've got to look at artificial intelligence and the whole the whole landscape of communication is going to change. I, I don't know how AI and robot, but I think AI and robotics. And I mean, I was in a grocery store the other day and there was a sweeper that was robotic that was beeping. It was going up and down the halls. So it's eliminating jobs. So I think that there's not going to be less jobs. They're just going to be different. And I think that you need to be starting now, depending on what age you are, to look, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky said, right? You know, how to success, it's not where the puck is. It's where it needs, where it's going to go. And I think as a futurist, you're doing a great service to people because you're allowing them to think. So to me, I would look at artificial intelligence, buying behaviors have changed and communication. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, so many people out there say that, you know, in 10 years, we're going to lose 4 million jobs or 10 million jobs or 20 million jobs, but nobody thinks about the jobs that are going to be created from the, oh. from the industries that are coming. I mean, or they haven't even invented yet. Like, I think imagine, it's just BS. Yeah. In 1990, did we have the, did we even imagine web developers or, or, or you know, <laughs> it's like none of these things existed. And I think if you don't, you, people don't think far enough out. They just think about, okay, right. how's, where's the end? Not the, not the new beginning, not the fresh beginning. Yeah, I think you're you're 100 correct, and I know there's statistics on it, and I used to have it in one of my keynotes. But it was like if you looked at the top 10 companies today, they didn't even exist 20 years ago. Like you know, they weren't even they they weren't even a thought. I mean, if you look at web development, you look at social media. Social media started in 2005. Really, I mean, if you look at when Facebook and I think it was around 2005. Don't quote me on that, but it's yeah, you know, it's not that long ago. Don't talk about stuff that happened prior to 2008. It makes you sound old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's like even when you talk about email, I've got a bunch of millennials that like they don't even use email anymore. It's not even texting. It's like you know, what are you doing? You know, like instant message exactly. me. I'm like, well, I can't. I don't. Oh, I'm not going to go. I only text them. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, and that's just, and everybody's heard the joke, you know, you see five people at dinner and they're all texting each other. Cause it's just, we've gotten to that. Like I won't even use, I'm so lazy. I won't even use voice commands. I don't even want to take the time to speak into my phone, you know? So I've got, I've got, you know, there's an Alexa and there's Google and then my thing's going to go off here in a second to tell it to shut up. But um, you know, there's so many things, but I think what we need to be thinking is as a futurist, I'm sure, you, you know, what fascinates me about what you do is, looking at what's next, you know, and one of my, one of my good friends is Daniel Burris and he's a futurist. I don't know if you know who he is, Dan Burris, yes. but if you haven't had him on your show, you should, he's, he's a close friend and a, and a good buddy. And, you know, he always talks about, you know, know what's next and skip the problem. And the problem isn't the problem. And it's the methodology of how he thinks. And, you know, his books are great for helping me and anybody else look at like, what's the, like, it's not giving, it's not telling me what the future is. It's helping me identify how to understand what the future is going to be. And that's really, I think, important for everybody because time's getting condensed. Things are coming at us at a faster pace. And, you know, you've got to have a core system of tools that you can put in your toolbox to be able to handle the fast rate of change, 
the economic change, the, the landscape. And I haven't looked at my investments to see. I know I lost a bunch of money yesterday, but, um, you know, there's 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 always new opportunities. Bitcoin, that's man. Cryptocurrency. That's where the pla- that's the place to go. <laughs> well, it's funny. I didn't get on the whole Bitcoin thing when it started. But I don't know what it was, maybe a couple of years ago or something. But I, 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 I said, OK, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. And, you know, I bought, I think, a thousand bucks worth. Not not a lot. I mean, not like Tesla buying a billion. Like this was just me just saying, you know, it's like going to the casino. If I go to the casino, if I bring a thousand bucks, it's like I don't really expect to leave with it. You know, it's just like, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm going to have some fun. But I spent the money, a thousand bucks, and it went down to like zero. And I just never looked at it again. And, and I just looked at it and it's at $10,000. It's like, holy crap. Like, and I don't even understand it. So I'm not going to act like I do. I'm, I'm not that guest. But, you know, I know a lot of people became Bitcoin millionaires. But I really do think that the currency is going to change. Money's going to change. Data is power. Knowledge is power. You know, developing your communication skills is huge right now. You know, being able to, you know, virtual. I think that we're going to have holograms. I think we're, I think it's, I think the whole thing, like, I don't know. I hope I live long enough to see it because I really believe in the future. But I, I think that I don't believe in Armageddon that the world's just going to blow up and we're all going to be, you know, Mad Max and Thunderdome. Um, yeah. But, you know, it could happen. But I, I choose to not think that way. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like some of the things you're saying earlier about how you you develop businesses is you, you were very observant. Right. You looked at the, what was going on around you and you sort of put the pieces together and you added the critical thinking. And I, and I wish they taught critical thinking earlier on, like much, much, much earlier on. I don't think they teach it at all. I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Do, exactly. do, do they teach it? Do you feel like, have you and your guests, I mean, I mean, does college. anybody? Sometimes when you get to college and you take philosophy courses, then you get taught. <laughs> okay. But before that, who knows, right? Yeah, and that must be because I don't know. It's so funny because I do speak at universities, but I don't have a college degree. It's so funny because they'll say, when I get done speaking, they'll say, hey, well, you know, where did you graduate from? You know, I tell them St. Louis Park High because I was on the work program in high school. And they're like, no, 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 for college. And I said, well, I've taken some college courses, but I never went, you know, and they're like, you're kidding me. You seem to know, like, again, but I self-educated myself, right? There's no excuses. So I understand finances. I understand ratios and um, compliance issues and balance sheets and income statements and chart of accounts and inventory turns. I understand marketing and sales. I understand digital. I understand leadership and change. So so you have to, if you're going to be successful, be willing to be humble and make mistakes, but you've got to be able to self-educate yourself. I just, if there's, I know we're wrapping up soon, but as you're getting ready to think about this, I don't care where you are, work where you are with what you've got and make the most of what you've got to get everything that you want. And, and if you're not willing to, and again, I'm speaking to myself, everybody. I mean, as I say these words, I'm also, this is my self-talk. Like, you know, I'm saying good words. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, very inspirational. I love I love the work you're doing. We should probably do it again. There's so much more I want to talk to you about, like the future of education. Like it's like it's interesting that you got to where you are, you know, without that formal education. I think, you know, that's the kind of education we all need is the informal education. I mean, that's where learning is. So there's tons more stuff that we could talk about. You get you give me a link. If you have a guest that doesn't show up, call me if I'm available. We'll jump on. I'm available. I love doing these. I love adding value. Um, so you can just, you've got the link on how to get on my schedule, just schedule it. And if it pops up on my calendar, just give me the topic of the day. Hey, we're going to talk about this. And, you know, unless it's, unless it's how to handle people with tact and skill, I'm good for it. (laughs) I could use some help there myself. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. It was great talking with you. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Talk to you later, man. Bye. Bye. Bye.